Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight I'm continuing on Pillars of Pentecost. I've been in this series for weeks now on Wednesday night called Pillars of Pentecost, just giving you the fundamental pillars. You know, part of the reason for this series is especially in this day and age and time, how many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You got the Facebook apostles, the Facebook prophets, right? You got the person that it's like everybody's an apostle nowadays. You know what I'm talking about? You can walk up to somebody and they'll hand you a card. Oh, I'm Apostle Solomon. Really? An apostle? That's, that's amazing. Where's your church? Oh, I don't have a church. What do you mean you're an apostle? That doesn't even make sense, right? Everyone's a prophet. Everyone's got a new dream from the Lord. Everyone's got a new word from the Lord. And, and, and here's the thing. You constantly see... Christians kind of chasing after the newest thing, right? The latest, greatest thing. They're just chasing one new, uh, you know, Donald Trump's going to be back in the office for the 37th time in the last two years. And, 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 you know, I'm not disregarding the prophecy and all of that, but you guys all agree, right? There's some real deal people and there's some phony baloney people. Are y'all with me? Come on, y'all with me? Okay. And so, again, I'm not disregarding the prophecy, but what I am saying is don't get so hung up on chasing the latest, greatest, newest thing, freshest thing, you know, these are pillars. These are pillars you can build your entire life off of. You know, it's great when God adds new things to us, but we need to really just get to the basics, the fundamental foundation of our faith and of our life. Amen. So that's what we've been going over, the pillars of Pentecost. We've talked about uh, the pillars, exuberant worship. Sanctification, being sanctified, baptism of the Holy Ghost. We've talked about, uh, let's see, what did we, what did we preach on? The second coming, the soon coming King, right? The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You know, it's really a shame that you have so many believers, they can spout off every, like I said, newest, latest, greatest prophecy that's come out in the last two years, but they have no foundation. You start talking to them about the soon coming King, they just have no idea. They can't even tell you anything about that. That's a problem, right? Okay, so tonight we're going to continue with this pillar. Tonight the pillar that I'm going to share with you, I'm so excited because, guys, honestly, this is one of my favorite things to preach about. Who knows where I'm going? I love to preach about this so much that I wrote an entire book about it. I'm preaching on the doctrine of faith. The doctrine of faith. Hallelujah. And again, I'm not pushing this book, but I'm so just ecstatic about this. This is, this is the first copy. They sent this to me. They said, here's the first physical copy. Make any final edits and then send it back to us. And, and the actual book will come out December 20th. But this is the book. It's called You Can Have Mountain Moving Faith, Practical Steps to Realizing God's Promises in Your Life. Hallelujah. So excited. So uh, I want to just give you a quick history here. Uh, to keep you kind of up to date. So Pentecost, say Pentecost. What is Pentecost? So there was a new kind of 
I should say, expression added to the church. It it wasn't really necessarily new. It was just kind of a restoration. Are you all with me? After the church was birthed, and in the the 380s, you know, the Catholic church was birthed, and then everything was just so suppressed, and, and, and the word of God was kept from the people. And so there was a man named Martin Luther, who knows what I'm talking about, Protestant Reformation, brought the word back to the people. And ever since then, God's just been restoring the church back to biblical model. So every 100 years, every 200 years, every you know 50 years, you see not a new thing coming out, but God kind of restoring things back to the, the actual practices of the early church that had been lost. And so... In the early 1900s, there was a new vein that was opened up. I should say new, but it was called Pentecostalism. What was Pentecostalism? It was just basically this this revelation that the Acts chapter 2 experience is available today. Right? The way that they were baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 2 is available today for me and for you. Did you know that only 200 years ago, believers had no idea? That wasn't practiced, that wasn't taught, that wasn't really operated in. And it wasn't until the early, late 1800s, early 1900s that that took off. And now, you guys know there's over like 600,000 tongue-talking believers in the world right now. Hallelujah, that's amazing, right? Well, that just barely kind of came back into the faith in the early 1900s. And it was really just launched out of the Azusa Street Revival. Okay, so... Follow, follow me here. Pentecostalism, it, it, the Zuzu Street Revival launched this, this new thing, this restoration of the church with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. A few years went on, and then they had what was known as the charismatic movement, which began to happen. That was where the voice of healing took place. T.L. Osborne, who's heard of T.L. Osborne? Hallelujah. T.L. Osborne, Oral Roberts, who's heard of Oral Roberts? Different men of God in that movement. And then uh, oh, Sam's shaking his head. He don't like Oral Roberts. I love Oral Roberts. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm just picking on you, Sam. I love you. And then a few years later, out of the, uh, you know, the charismatic movement, you had evangelicalism, which you had like Kenneth E. Hagin. Who's heard of Kenneth E. Hagin? So really, in this time, God brought the revelation back to the church, which is the doctrine of faith. I want you to say faith. 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 Okay, so... Let's get right into this tonight. I have this really structured out where I hope that this will just make this super simple. This is just going to be a nutshell kind of introduction into what is the doctrine of faith. Okay, so write this down for number one. Faith. Say, uh, write this down. Faith is a foundational doctrine in the Bible. You know, a lot of people have heard the, the term faith, but they don't understand that that what faith is. They couldn't tell you what faith is, and they don't understand. It's actually a foundational doctrine in the Bible. All right, look at Hebrews 6, 1. It says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. All right, so he says these elementary principles. What does he list as elementary principles? He says repentance from dead works and faith, putting your faith in God. So these are, these are elementary ABC doctrines of Christianity. Repentance, right? 
faith, and then it goes on to list others, but I just want you to see that. The uh, elementary principle, putting your faith toward God. Amen. So faith is a foundational doctrine according to the Bible. I want you to understand why it's so foundational, and it, and it blows my mind, is that Christians will go their whole life and never know the doctrine of faith, but it's actually supposed to be like kindergarten of Christianity. It ain't supposed to be something that you learn 20 years down the line. It's something you're supposed to learn when you're just a baby, right? At elementary school, you have to complete elementary before you can get into high school, before you can get into graduate school. Are you with me? And so, you know, you wonder why so many Christians stay immature and they can't ever grab a hold of deeper things. It's because they have no foundation of the elementary things. So why is it so elementary You need to understand this, that faith, without faith, you cannot please God. Look at Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. Right, so here's kind of my point with this. Would you guys all agree with me, whether you're Baptist whether you're Methodist, whether you're Catholic, whether you're Presbyterian, whether you're Pentecostal, the, genu- the, the kind of consensus among all people should be our goal is to please God. Are you with me? You know, it's like it doesn't matter what branch of Christianity you are. Everybody should agree. What's, what is our goal? What should we strive to do? You know, you could say please God, and everybody would agree with that, right? But the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. So if you don't possess and operate in faith, you'll never be able to please him. So it's actually very important that you understand what is faith according to the Bible and how do you operate in faith according to the Bible because if you don't learn this, you'll never even enter into a life that's pleasing to God. Hallelujah. Okay, so without faith, you cannot please God. Write this down as well if you're taking notes. Without faith, you cannot possess anything that the Bible promises. Look at Hebrews 11, 33 through 34. It says, by faith, say faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. You can't overthrow anything without faith. They ruled with justice. Say lead. It takes faith to to be able to lead. They received what God had promised them. I want, if you're opening your Bible, I want you to highlight that right there. By faith, they received all that God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. Who wants that? Who would like to say, man, you know, who's ever felt weak before? Raise your hand if you've ever felt weak. Who would say, I want the strength of the Lord? Raise your hand if you want the strength of the Lord. Well, you have to have faith. You have to use your faith to turn your weakness into strength. All right, are you with me? And it says, they became strong in battle. They put whole armies to flight. But I really want you to see in verse 33 here, by faith, these people received all that God had promised them. You know, again, why is it that there's over 8,000 promises in this Bible But the average Christian will live their whole life and maybe possess one or two of them, right? The only promise that you see Christians possessing is the promise of salvation. But there's over 8,000 promises. There's promises that pertain to healing. 
Amen. There's promises that pertain to your blessing, to prosperity. There's promises that pertain to land ownership. Did you know that that's in the Bible? You know that God made a covenant to give us land in the Bible? And without faith, you can't possess any of them. By faith, we receive all that God has promised us. Hallelujah. So what does that mean? If you don't learn what faith is and how to use it, you'll never, you'll never possess one thing that God promises in this word. Amen. You know, it doesn't do any good that God just said it. It, it. You have to possess it. You have to receive it. And that's where faith comes in. So what is faith? How do I get it? How do I use it? We're going to address some of these things tonight. Hallelujah. So you see why it's so foundational. Without faith, you can't please God. Without faith, you can't possess one thing that the Bible promises. Would you agree that it's pretty important then? Hallelujah. So let's answer the question now tonight, moving on. Number two, what is faith? What is faith? If you would, media team, thank you. What is faith? Faith begins with being fully convinced of God's word. So before I really explain to you what the Bible says faith is and, and understanding what, what faith is, the foundation of faith is being fully convinced of God's word. That's where faith starts. Amen. So listen, let's just put this together. If you're going to receive everything that the Bible has promised, where does it start? How do, how do I do that? You have to start with this foundation. You have to become fully convinced of God's word. Amen. Look at Romans 4, 20 through 21. This is a wonderful example of faith that, that I've seen in the scripture. A great kind of scriptural definition. It says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. Verse 21. This verse right here will totally change everything if you'll grab a hold of it. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Fully convinced. Say fully convinced. That's where faith starts. If you can get to that point, guys, I'm telling you, I'll say the same thing Jesus said. You're not far from the kingdom right there. You're not far from just seeing mountains move and miracles and testimonies coming to pass in your life. If you'll just come to the point where you're fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he has said in this word. That's the, that's the beginning of faith. That's the foundation of faith. Hallelujah. Give you some more examples. Look at Luke chapter 1, 36 through 37. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and it is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. I want you to just put that verse up, hold it right there. For the word of God will never fail. The word of God will never fail. Luke, same verse in the New King James, it says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. For with God, nothing will be impossible. So this angel came to Mary and told Mary that her, her cousin, I think it was her cousin, her aunt, Elizabeth, 
was pregnant with John the Baptist. She was an old woman. She had become pregnant. And he tells her, he says, that the word of God will never fail. So basically it just means this. If God has said it, it is fact. Amen. If God has said it, it is fact. And that's what the angel was essentially telling to Mary here. You know, Mary, Mary could have came back in the natural and said, oh, angel, you don't understand. My aunt Elizabeth or my cousin, whatever she was of relation to Mary, she's old, right? It's impossible for her to get pregnant, right? She already, she's actually like medically past that point in her life, right? She could have argued, but the angel said, listen, I don't care how old she is. Ask Abraham. Ask Sarah, if I said that she's going to have a baby, then I don't care. None of the natural, logical things matter at all whatsoever. If I said it, he said this, whatever God, he, uh, it says this, the word of God will never fail. Hallelujah. That means it will always come to pass, that, and he is always able to carry out everything that he says. Hallelujah. So that you just understand, faith begins with being fully convinced of God's word. So here's the conclusion of that. Faith begins by settling the word as a fact in your heart. And being fully convinced that if the Bible says it, it settles. It is settled. Amen. If the Bible says it, that settles it. Say that with me. Say, if the Bible says it, say, that settles it. Hallelujah. You know, it, it's really that simple. It, it's like, why do you see a lot of Christians struggling to possess anything from God? And it's if you really talk to them, it's because they argue with the word of God. You know, the Bible says nothing is impossible for the person that believes. And we'll get to this verse in a moment. But I remember one time, there was a lady that came in here. And she told me that, you know, her son had ADHD and that he had these problems. And I said, well, let me pray for your son. And she began to tell me, she said, there's no cure for ADHD. And I said, well, it doesn't matter if there's a cure, there's not a cure. I'm not talking about medicine. I'm talking about the supernatural, right? And she just went on to tell me, oh, well, no, you don't understand. God can't heal that. There's no cure. She's arguing with the word. The Bible says nothing is impossible. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Praise God. So faith begins by settling the word as a fact in your heart and being fully convinced that if the Bible says it, that settles it. Faith is the, I'll write this down tonight. Faith is the spiritual substance that your miracle is made of. So we're, we're answering the question, what is Faith. Faith is being fully convinced of God's word. Number two, what is faith? Faith is the spiritual substance that your miracle is made of. I want to really show you this. I don't know how this makes sense in the natural, but faith is a substance in the spirit. Do you know that there's, there's more than one realm? That when God created, the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth. Are you with me? So there's a seen world. What's the seen world? This is the seen world. This is the scene world, Miss Kim. She's the scene world. This is the scene world. There's a physical world, but there's also a spiritual world that's unseen, the Bible talks about. And so faith is, is actually a substance. What does that mean? I mean, it has weight. It has power. It, it, you know, you could, 
there's a substance to it in the spiritual realm of things. Faith is actually a spiritual force. And when you begin to understand that and you begin to release your faith, you'll understand that you're not just, you know, wishful thinking. You're not just, well, I hope that this thing happens. You'll understand that when you learn the keys to releasing your faith, when you release your faith, there is a force that's actually going out in the spiritual realm that will cause what, what you have set your heart, what you've set your eye to, to come to pass. It's actually a spiritual substance. Faith is the spiritual substance that your miracle is made of. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is. This tells you, well, you may ask the question, what is faith? The Bible tells us faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Say substance. That word substance in the Greek, it literally means material. Look at that. Listen, let's put that word in, in this line here. Faith is the material of things hoped for. Faith is the material of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, I asked the Lord about this verse to help me understand it a while back, probably a year or so ago, and, he, and I literally just had this like vision. I don't know if it was an open vision, but the Lord just showed me kind of a picture of how this works. So say material. So in this picture, in this vision kind of that the Lord gave me, where I was playing out in my head, I saw myself praying. I saw myself get down on my knees, right? And I'm sitting here, and, and, and I begin to pray. And as I pray, the thing that I was hoping for, right? Because get this, faith is the material of the thing that you're hoping for. So first, I know I'm rabbit trailing a little bit, but you have to pinpoint what is it that you're hoping for, right? What is it you're praying for? Has anybody ever prayed for something? Yes, everybody has. Faith is what that thing's made of. Okay, so think about this. Let's say, you know, let's say me and my wife, we lived out in the middle of the country and we needed a car. Our car wasn't working. We needed a car to do the work of the Lord. I get down and I begin to pray. And all of a sudden that car, that prayer for that car goes up to the Lord, right? The Lord receives it and he looks at it. He pulls out his book, his word, and says, is this in my word? He finds it in the word where the Bible says that, that he'll give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, a car pertains to life. Yep, it's in my word. And so he says, this is good. I want my son to have this. I'll allow my son to have this. So he takes this prayer, and he walks over to this box, to this work table, right? And, and, and on this table, there's a box that says substance material on it. Say material. So he's getting ready. Okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to make this car in the spirit for my son. And he goes to grab the box, and he goes to reach into the box, but guess what? It's empty, and there's nothing. And so the Lord says, man, I want my son to have this car. I want my son to have this thing that he's praying for, that he's hoping for. But when I went to make it, there was no material to make it. Why? Because the point he was trying to show me is there was no faith. I wasn't praying in faith. There was no substance. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So think about it like this. So faith is the material of the thing that you're hoping for. If you're hoping for healing, that's made of faith. Amen. If you're hoping for a house, you can believe God for a house. That's made of faith. Hallelujah. Okay. 
So think about it like this. You hope for a car. In the natural, because remember, there's two, there's two realities. In the natural, your car is made of metal, right? So but that's how things work in the natural. The material that your car is made of is metal. You with me? So if you went to go, and you guys have probably seen this over the last two years, right? They're not even pumping cars out. They're not pumping uh, TVs out, nothing. Why? Because there's a chip shortage. Have y'all ran into that problem? They're like, there's a chip shortage. They're not making the chips anymore. And so literally, they don't have the material to make the car. So in the natural, metal is the material that your car is made out of. Without metal, you have no material to build the car. Are you with me? But in the spirit, faith is what your car is made out of. So in the spirit, if there is no faith, there is no material to build a car. You see? Does that make sense to everybody? So faith is not just a positive way of thinking. It is a spiritual substance. Hallelujah. It's a spiritual substance. So I want you to write this final concluding point down for this. When you receive God's word and put it to work, in the spirit, a true spiritual force or substance is released. When you begin to use your faith and you learn how to use your faith, a true spiritual force and substance is released. Hallelujah. Hey, if you guys are going to make noise, go sit on the back row, okay? Be quiet. Thank you. I love you. I'm happy you're here, but we, we, we need to not distract people. Hallelujah. Okay, so when you receive God's word and you put it to work in the spirit, a true spiritual force or substance is released. So what is faith? We said faith is being fully convinced of God's word, right? Faith is the spiritual substance that your miracle is made of. What else is faith? I need you to understand this about faith. Faith and hope are not the same. Faith and hope are not the same. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. These three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So look at that. It actually lists three things, faith, say faith, hope, and love. See, the Bible actually makes a distinction between faith and hope. Amen. You know, so a lot, of, a lot of Christians, again, faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? Your miracle is made of faith. Your miracle is not made of hope. Are y'all with me? Why is it that a lot of Christians never see the miracle, never possess? Faith is how we possess the promises of God, not hope, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? So why don't Christians possess things? Because they never enter into faith and they just live their life in hope, hoping, so how can you make the distinction? How do you know? What's the difference between faith and hope? I want you to write this down. Faith is now, hope is future. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Look at that. Now faith is. Come on, say now faith is. Say, now faith is. Come on, I want you to turn to somebody and say, now faith is. 
Hallelujah. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So basically, you can ask yourself the question, if you're wondering, how do I know, John, if I'm in faith or if I'm in hope? If you're, if you're not believing for now, then you're not in faith. You know what I mean? So let's think about it like this. Whenever it comes to healing, you talk about God's promises for healing. You hear Christians talk and they'll say things like, well, I believe that God is going to heal me. Going means what? Future tense, right? So if faith is now and hope is future, and if they're saying God's going to heal me, what does that mean? They're hoping they're not in faith. Faith possesses it now, today. Faith says, no, it's not for the future. It's for right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it's by faith that we possess all that God has promised us. Now faith is. So say it one more time. Say faith is now. So understand this. If it's not now, it's not faith. If it's not now, it's not faith. Well, man, I'm telling you, I believe one day I'll enter into prosperity. No, you won't. I'm telling you, no, you won't. Because you... That's hope. Faith is possessing the promise of God for today. You know, think about how this works. Salvation. What if you spent your whole life saying, well, maybe one day I'll be saved. What will happen if you die? Are you going to be saved? No, you won't be saved. If you just constantly wake up every day and say, well, I'll be saved. Tomorrow's my salvation. Tomorrow I'll get saved. Next week I'll get saved. Next month I'll get saved. And you live your whole life just putting it in the future tense. You'll die. And guess what? You'll never receive salvation. What do you have to do to just receive salvation? You have to possess it. No, it's available for me now. All I have to do, I possess it for today. I possess salvation right now by faith. So faith is now. If it's not now, it's not faith. Hallelujah. Amen. Again, you can always identify if you're in hope or faith. If you're thinking about the things that you're believing for, who's believing for anything in here? Come on. If you think about the things that you're believing for and and you think words like one day, you think words like I'm waiting on God, and you say things like that, well, one day... I'll get it, or I'm just waiting on the Lord to bring it to me, you'll never possess it. That's hope. That's not faith. Hallelujah. By faith, not hope, we possess the promises of God. Amen. By faith, not by hope, we possess the promises of God. That was Hebrews 11.33. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and what? Received what God had promised them. Hallelujah. So we have to learn how to use our faith, right? We have to learn what is faith. It's by faith we get it now. If we don't learn how to get, use our faith, we'll never get it. You know, and I'll also go ahead and tell you this, that the only thing the Bible tells us to hope for is the resurrection. The resurrection is the only hope in the New Testament. It, you know, because you can't use your faith to possess the resurrection, right? I can't come up here and say, by faith, Jesus is coming back tomorrow at 12 o'clock. Well, if I say that, we already automatically know he ain't coming back tomorrow at 12 o'clock because the Bible says no man knows the hour of the day, no the angels, the son doesn't know, only the father knows, 
right? So that's the one thing that we don't use our faith to possess. That's the one thing we're looking forward to. That's the one thing in the Bible that the Bible says that God will fulfill in his own time. That's the only thing. Guys, say that's the only thing. The resurrection is the only thing that God has promised to fulfill in his own time. What does that mean? Every other promise in the Bible has to be possessed by faith, and faith is now. Hallelujah. You know, you've, and, 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 and it, you have to begin. Where does this start? It, be, it starts with being convinced of God's word, settling God's word in you. You know, if I would have stayed in hope, we would have never have had this building. You know, think about this. When we were going to launch this church and it was time for us to get this building and all these things had to happen, if I would have lived in the mindset of, well, one day when God gets ready, amen, he'll, he'll send me a building when he's good and ready to. When God's good and ready, I'll get a building. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, I'd be meeting in someone's living room today. But I, we had to, as a church, come and say, actually, no. The Bible says wherever the foot of our, our, wherever our foot shall tread will be on land that he's already given to us. So we started stomping around this church. We started claiming it in the name of Jesus. We were fully convinced that God had promised us property in Jesus' name. And guess what? We used our faith to possess it. Not tomorrow, not next year, not five years from now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hallelujah. So, by faith, not by hope, we possess the promises of God. I'll give you two scriptural examples. Blind Bartimaeus. Mark 10, 51 through 52. There was a man that was blind, and he started screaming, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus pulls him out and says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man, said, I want to see. Jesus said to him, go. For your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. How did, blind, how did Bartimaeus get healed? By faith. Say faith. Your faith has healed you. Does it say your hope has healed you? Nope, your faith has healed you. You know, you think about blind Bartimaeus. What, what was the simple faith that he used? Blind Bartimaeus didn't sit on that ledge and think, well, one day when God's ready, he'll heal me. Was that what blind Bartimaeus did? One day in the future when God's ready, I'll get my sight back. No, he started screaming and he went to Jesus and believed that, you know, faith, my healing's not tomorrow, it's today, it's right now. And when he just simply believed, Lord, I'm gonna receive it right now, I wanna see. And he put his believing into present tense Guess what? Your faith has made you whole. Hallelujah. Look at the woman with the issue of blood. This woman reaches out and touches the robe of Jesus. And then she got healed. Virtue went out from him, and and it says that it healed her. It went into her body. The bleeding stopped immediately. This is Mark 5, 33 through 34. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your what? Faith has made you well. Go in peace. So when you read Hebrews 11, it says everything that anybody ever did in this word, they did it by faith. When you read the miracles of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every single person that received a miracle from Jesus received it by faith. 
It's by faith we possess the promises of God. So how many of y'all know it's pretty important that we understand this, why the Bible calls it a fundamental elementary doctrine? Why would God say that? Because obviously he didn't intend for Christians to live a life never possessing one thing that he promises. Hallelujah. Praise God. So here's the conclusion with this. Many people don't possess the promises of God because they remain in hope and never enter into Bible faith. Many people don't ever possess the promises of God because they remain in hope and never enter into Bible faith. Hallelujah. Okay, so faith, say faith. I helped you explain faith is the spiritual force. Faith is the thing that your miracle is made of. Uh, and I want to help just solidify some things in here. Because, again, you have to be fully convinced of God's word. If you're teeter-tottering around saying, well, I don't really know if God wants me to have it, right? If you're not fully convinced that God has promised you property in the word, you'll never possess property. Like, you'll never possess it from God. You could go to a bank and then get a big loan and, and be indebted your entire life and, and have all of these issues, and you could figure out a way to get things, but you'll never supernaturally possess one thing if you're teeter-tottering on the word, right? If you're, if you're not sure that God wants you to prosper, guess what? You'll never possess prosperity. If you're not sure that God wants you healed, you'll never walk in divine health, and you'll never receive healing. And so... I want to help you. What can you use your faith for? Number three tonight, what is faith able to accomplish? What is faith able to accomplish? Mark 9, 22 through 23. The spirit, they brought this boy that was possessed by a demon to Jesus. And the father of this boy said, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. This man told Jesus, if you can, right? Help me if you can. Heal me if you can. Lord, do something if you can. There's a lot of people that pray, if you can, desperate prayers. If you can. The Lord says this, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. Say anything. That means all things, right? There's not one thing that's impossible if a person believes. The New King James says, if you can believe, all things are possible to the one who believes. Say all things. Look at Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Jesus said, I tell you, you can pray for anything. Say anything. And if you've believed that you've received it, it will be yours. Here's kind of my point behind this. You can use your faith for all things and anything. Right? Stop putting God in this religious box. Like I told you, for the first few years of me and my wife's marriage, we were in a food box line needing spaghetti and sauce because we didn't have enough to eat. Why? Because I didn't know that God wanted me to prosper. I wasn't sure about that. You know, and I remember the day that I came across verses like this, and I said, hey, hold on a second. He said I can, that anything is possible. There's not one thing that's impossible. That means there's not one thing I can't use my faith for. You can use your faith for anything. 
Amen. You can use your faith for all things and anything. Guys, you can use your faith for your marriage. You can use your faith for your children, right? Amen. Is your marriage something? You can pray for anything, and if you believe you receive it, you'll have it. Are your children something? Is your healing something? Is your finances something? Is deliverance something? Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You can use your faith for anything and all things. So here's really the million-dollar question. If faith is able to do, if faith is, it, it just unlocks possibilities, makes, makes everything an endless possibility. I can have anything this word says I can have by faith. I guess the question is this, how do I get faith, right? And how do I use my faith? How do I get faith? Romans 10, 17 tells us very clearly. It says this, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how do you get faith? It comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Say the word of God. So to just simplify that, faith comes through constant intake of the word of God. Faith comes by constant intake of the word of God. So to simplify that more, how do I grow my faith? You have to constantly take in the word of God in order to grow your faith. What does that mean? The Bible. Say the Bible. Faith comes by reading the Bible. Faith comes by listening to preaching. Faith comes by listening to teachers. You know, I hear the stupidest things from people. Well, I don't, I don't get my doctrine from men. I get it straight from God. You will live and die in ignorance, not possessing anything. You'll be an old, sour, withered up person that never possesses anything from the Lord. That's so stupid. Because the Bible says that, that, that Christ gave gifts to the church. One of those gifts in the book of Ephesians, the five-fold ministry, is the gift of the teacher. Amen. He gave the teacher to the church for what? For to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the perfecting of the saints, the Bible says. So if you sit there and say, well, I don't get my doctrine from men. I don't listen to men. I just listen to God. How do you think God speaks to people? He uses men to speak to people. Well, I, you know, it's just so ridiculous. Hallelujah. Don't ever get into that, that lane, okay? Look at anybody that's ever gotten that lane and look how their life has turned out and then just, I'll tell you a rule that I live by. The Bible says you'll know a tree by its fruit. If I look at a tree and I don't like the fruit, guess what? I'm not eating from it. You look at somebody and it's like, it's no condemnation at all, but it's, it's just like they've struggled their whole life. They've been addiction their whole life. They've been through multiple marriages their whole life. and They've just had nothing but problem. And, you know, that's the thing. It's like we can have theological discussion, but at the end of the day, if I look at the tree and I don't like the fruit, I'm not going to eat from the tree. Are you with me? So faith comes through constant intake of the word of God. If you begin to fill your life with all three of these things, the word, preaching, and teaching, you will begin to build and acquire faith. I want you to get this. How do I get faith? Say the word. I've got to take in the word. Why do Christians not have faith and operate in faith? Because they have no word intake in their life. Ignorance keeps people from possessing the promises of God. 
You know, that word ignorant, it's not a mean, demeaning word. It just simply means uneducated, uninformed. Look at Hosea 4.6. This is a condensed version, but it says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. What does that mean? You can't have what you don't know. If you spend your whole life being a lazy Christian that says, I'm not going to make the word of God a priority in my life, guess what? You'll spend your whole life ignorant of a ton of things that God has promised in this word. And then what the Bible says is at the end of your life, you may have lacked and suffered things, and it, and it wasn't because God didn't want to give it to you. It wasn't because God wanted you to suffer. It says, for a lack of knowledge, my people perish. You can't have what you don't know. Many people will spend their entire lives lacking things they could have today. Hallelujah. Why? Why will they lack things that they they could have today? Is it because God doesn't want to help them? No, it's because they remain ignorant of the word. And because they remain void of the word of God, they don't possess the substance of faith. Because they don't possess the substance of faith, they don't possess one promise that comes from God. Hallelujah. Look at Proverbs 19.20. It says, get all the advice and instruction you can so that you will be wise the rest of your life. This should really be every single person's approach. You know, you don't have to tell a person. The Bible talks about a, a, there's a fool, right? And then there's a wise. There's a person that's a fool and there's a person that's wise. It says the wise, they chase after knowledge. They chase after wisdom like silver and gold. You have to try to beat the fool with, with a rod across their back. You know, don't be a Christian that's a fool where somebody's constantly having to beat you and whip you and, and, and you don't see value in the word of God. Are you with me? You should have this mindset that I'm going to live every day. It says get all the advice and the instruction that you can. I want to learn. I want to know. A person that wants to learn and wants to know, you don't have to force them to chase after knowledge. Are you with me? You have to decide the type of person that you want to be. I love to constantly listen to preachers and teachers and other pastors and other great ministries. Why? Because I'm hungry for knowledge. I personally want knowledge. And the Bible says that if you'll possess knowledge that shall honor you, that, that wisdom and knowledge actually offer you long life and riches and honor, according to the book of Proverbs. Hallelujah. So how do I get faith? Say the word. You've got to begin to consume this word. And as you begin to consume this word, guess what will happen? You'll start reading things and saying, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that was in there. Oh, my gosh, look how Jesus healed these people. Look what he, did you know, John? Did you know, Pastor John, these things that are written in this word? And and all of a sudden, the light bulb will begin to come on, and you'll be like, oh, my goodness, I have been living in so much less than what I could have been living in. So that's how you get faith. Now let's answer this question. How do I use my faith? How do I use my faith? And I'm going to tell you this, that the problem with many Christians is not that they don't have faith, it's that they don't know how to use the faith that they actually possess. Because the Bible doesn't just say that it's just by possessing it, you have to actually use your faith. You need to learn how to use your faith. And this is what a lot of people don't know. 
You know, they'll just be like an endless reservoir. That if you could look at Christians, there's some Christians, man, they know this Bible, they've been reading it their whole life, and if you could see them in the Spirit, it's like they're plumb full. They're about to throw up. They may have so much faith, but they don't know how to release what they have. Amen. And I'm going to tell you this too. The problem with a lot of people is that it's not that they don't have enough faith. Write that down. People always take this message and they'll say things like this. You mean to tell me that, I, that I'm sick because I don't have enough faith? No. I'm actually going to tell you the opposite. It's probably not that you don't have enough faith. It's just probably simply you're not using the faith that you have properly. And I'll show you the formula. I'll show you the principles in the word of how this works. People have faith. They don't know how to use it. But it's not that you don't have enough. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20 through 21. He says, you don't have enough faith. I mean, well, that sounds contradictory, but keep reading. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move, and nothing would be impossible. Say nothing. That's pretty amazing right there. So basically, he was rebuking them. He wasn't saying, you guys need to get some high level of faith. He's saying, you guys don't have any faith. You don't even have a mustard seed of faith inside of you. Did you know this? That it's, again, it's not that you don't have enough. If you just have a mustard seed size of faith, it says that you could move mountains with a mustard seed of faith. You could, there would be nothing impossible what you would set your, your, your heart to, what you would set before you with a mustard seed of faith. So many people have enough faith for their breakthrough. They don't know how to use the faith that they have. I'll say that again. Many people have enough faith for their breakthrough. Who's believing for something in this room? I believe that most of you have enough faith right now for the thing that you're believing for. That's not the problem. It's that they don't know how to use the faith that they have. So I'm going to give you the formula of faith. The formula of faith. Write this down. Here's the formula of faith. Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Who would agree with me that the Bible says that we're saved by faith, by God's grace, not of works, right? So, okay, I'm saved by faith, but the Bible actually gives you, peels back the curtain and shows you what's going on. There's two parts. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Say two parts. Repeat it with me. Say, believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. A lot of people, again, and this is why I told you, it's so important that you settle the word of God. You have to be convinced of it in your heart. But then here's the second instruction. There's many Christians that believe the word. There's many Christians that if you were to sit down at a coffee shop and, and spit ideas back and forth, they would tell you, I believe that God heals. I believe that God blesses. I believe that God does all of those things. But yet, why don't they ever possess any of it? Because faith is not one part, it's two parts. A lot of the problem that people have is the confession that comes out of their mouth. Listen, I'll say it again. The problem that people have is the confession that comes out of their mouth. Without both elements, believing it in your heart and confessing with your mouth, your faith is incomplete. Let me put it like this. Without both, element, but without both elements, it's not faith. Faith 
Think about it like this, right? Faith is like, I don't know, what's the ingredients to pancakes? Flour and eggs? Can you make pancakes with flour and eggs? Probably some nasty pancakes, but right, it could be done. Somebody spit at me like a two-ingredient recipe. What's a two-ingredient recipe? Mac and cheese. What'd you, what, what did somebody else say? Tortillas. Okay, a quesadilla. Okay, mac and cheese, all right? Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese, you need two things for it to be mac and cheese, right? You need the macaroni and you need the cheese. If you just got the noodles, that ain't mac and cheese, that's noodles. If you just got the cheese, that ain't mac and cheese, that's cheese. Are you with me? Faith is the same thing. That if you don't have these two things, it's not faith. It's these two things together that make the substance of faith. So if you have one and not the other, you don't have faith. Without both elements, your faith is incomplete. If you only believe and don't confess, you are not in faith. If you only confess and don't believe, you are not in faith. So a lot of people don't confess. Their confession's messed up. And then number two, you got a lot of people that'll jump on the train that I'm talking about, and they'll say all the right things, but in their heart, they don't really believe it. All right, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to repeat it 77 times, and, blah, 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 and then it comes down to it. In their heart, they, they're not fully convinced of it. Because they walk away questioning if any of it's real, if any of it's true. It's not solidified in them. Mark 11, 22 through 24. Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. So look, he's talking about faith. I tell you the truth. You can say, say, say. So he shows these two things. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown in the sea, and it will happen, but you must really believe. Say believe. It will happen and have no doubt in your heart. So there's the two ingredients of faith, saying and believing. I tell you the truth, you can pray for anything. Say anything. How can I possess anything whatsoever from God? Believe it and then confession. You can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Did he say it might be yours? No, it will be. It will be yours. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I love the new King James. He says, you, whoever says to this mountain, may you, be remo- may you be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believe those things which he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Man, that's amazing. You know, think about in the context, another uh, version in the Gospels, another account of the same story was given where Jesus cursed a tree. He cursed a fig tree. He literally went to go get figs from this tree and then there was no fruit on it and he cursed it and he walked away. And it says, the next day they were passing by and they saw that the tree had withered up from the roots and died. And they were like, look, Lord, it's dead. Look what happened. And then he goes on to say, yes, and I tell you, nothing's impossible. Because I, 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 declare, I, I declare this, if you'll believe what you say and do not doubt and you'll confess, you could say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea. And if you believe in your heart and do not doubt, 
If you believe those things which you say and do not doubt, you'll have the things that you say. Therefore, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, you'll have it. Anything. Hallelujah. So I'm going to kind of simplify this, all right? This is the formula to getting results in your life. I'm going to give you four pieces of this. I'm going to basically break down this whole teaching now into four very simple points. What do you need to do? Number one, you need to identify what it is that you're believing for. Amen. First, identify what it is that you're believing for. And I'll say this, be specific. Faith is specific. The same way that if it's not now, it's not faith. I'll say this, if it's not specific, it's not faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So what does that mean? If there's nothing that you hope for, guess what? There's nothing for the substance to come behind and to bring to fruition. If you ask many Christians, what is it that you're believing for? And they just said, I don't know. Why not? Why aren't you believing for something? You know, Jesus said a tree that abides in the root, he constantly prunes off the dead branches so that we become more fruitful. Always say more. From glory to glory, from strength to strength. So there should never come a part, a, a, a place in our life where we just say, well, I'm good, right? I'm just going to stay right here. We should always be pressing forward to possess the kingdom by force. Hallelujah. So be specific. What is it that you're believing for? You need to get specific. So, and I'm talking about, you may say something like financial. Who in here would say, I'm believing God for financial increase? Okay, you need to get more specific than that. Because think about that prayer, financial increase. Say you walk outside. Oh, I'm believing God. I'm going to believe for financial increase. You walk outside. You walk down the road. You find a $5 bill on the ground. Has God just answered your prayer? He just answered your prayer. But you know what you would say if you picked up that $5 bill? That's not what I meant. Well, then why don't you say what you mean? Amen. Amen. Financial increase. What does that look look like? Specifically, are you believing God for $500 a month? Are you believing God for $1,000 a month? Are you be- what is it you're believing God for? You need to get specific. All right, so identify what you're believing God for. Number two, you need to meditate on God's word concerning a subject until you believe what God says concerning that subject. Amen. I'll say it again. Meditate on God's word concerning the subject you're believing for. If it's healing in your body, you know what you should do? You know, it's like this. It's like Christians. They're they're like, I'm struggling. I've had this reoccurring kind of illness in my body for years and years and years. But I'm believing I'll be healed. Really? How many books have you read about healing? Are you kidding me? It's like whatever it is that you're believing for, you need to just intake the word of God in regards to that subject. There are so many Bible preachers and teachers and people that God have risen up to bring truth to the word of God, to bring light to the word of God, to help edify the church. Are you with me? You know, so again, I remember when my grandfather got cancer. I didn't just tell him, hey, have faith. You know what I did? I went and got T.L. Osborne's Healing the Sick book, put it in his hand. Read this book. 
After you read this book, I'm going to send you this teaching. Then I'm going to send you Kenneth Hagin. Then I'll see you, oh, Brother Shuttlesworth. Then I'll send you, you know why? Because I want you to build your faith. I want you to get fully convinced of what God has to say about your healing. So you have to meditate on God's word concerning that subject until you believe what God says concerning that subject. Hallelujah. Read the Bible, read books, listen to teachings until you gain confidence in the word of God regarding that subject. Are y'all with me still? Now, number three, here's the importance. Now, after you identify what you're believing for, now you, 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 you figure out what that is, and now you just get in the word and start intaking, intaking, growing your faith, your confidence in that subject. Now, what do you do? Now, number three, you need to speak to the situation using the authority of God's word and the name of Jesus. Speak to the situation. I didn't say pray to God about it. I said speak to the situation. Listen what Jesus said when he, when he talked about faith. I tell you, you can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown in the sea, and it will happen. Did Jesus say you can pray to God about the mountain? No, he said you can speak to the mountain. And see, a lot of Christians, they never never get into this. They'll start asking God. You know, I'll tell you this as well. Let me show you one quick verse. I'm at the very end of my sermon here tonight. I told somebody... I told Brother Jack, I said, I'm going to be done by 8 o'clock. And he said, are you preaching? (laughs) I am. I'm done. I got one more point. I'm done. It's (laughs) 8.01. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says in verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 18, as surely as God is faithful, our word does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He does not waver between yes and no. Get that. God does not change. He doesn't waver. That means that he never said yes to something in this word that he says no to today. If Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John said yes to healing every single time, why do we get the idea that somehow the Bible says that the Son of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Why do people say, I went to the Lord for healing and he told me not right now? Are you kidding me? He doesn't waver between yes and no. And he says, he is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you as God's ultimate yes. He always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Hallelujah. All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. Say they have been. That means everything that God has to give, he already gave us in Christ Jesus. We're not waiting on God to prosper us. He's all, in Christ, he gave us prosperity. We're not waiting on God to heal us because the Bible says that by his stripes we were healed. We're not waiting on God to bring us deliverance. We're not waiting on God for addiction to be broken off of our life. In fact, a lot of people spend time going to God. Lord, will you give me this thing? Will you do this for me? And they don't understand that God's actually saying to them, I've done everything that I'm going to do in regards to that subject. If you were to go to the Lord about healing, say, Lord, will you please heal me? You know what he would do? Point you back to the stripes of Jesus Christ. 
I paid for your healing right here. This is everything that I was going to do. I finished it. It's done. When the Son of God said, it is finished, he meant it. Hallelujah. So that's why he said, speak to the mountain. You don't have to go to God about it because it's settled. And I'm not talking about leaving God out of the picture, but I'm saying stop praying about things that God's already given us the resolution to. Hallelujah. Speak to the situation. What is it? Your healing. Is it, is it your marriage? Is it your life? Is it a car? Is it a house? Is it a property? You speak to it. Lord, please help me. No, he's already given you all promises in Christ. Start, what if you started speaking to your body? I command you flesh to be healed in Jesus' name. I command you, you will line up with the word of God. You are healed in Jesus' name. You say, well, I, I'm in a cycle of poverty. What if you started speaking to that demon? What if you started sowing seed like the Bible says and speaking to that demon saying, you must be broken off of my life. I'm not going to ask God to break me out. I'm going to tell you, devil, get your hands off of me in Jesus' name. You know, even your children and, and, and your marriages and things in your life, stop asking, Lord, please do. No, you just keep speaking the word of God. You devil, you lying spirit, you deceiving spirit, get your hands off in Jesus' name. He said, speak to the mountain. Hallelujah. Speak to the mountain. Speak to the situation, situation using the authority of God's word. That means I know what the word of God says in regards to this subject. And then you speak using the name of Jesus. And Jesus said in John 14, John 15, and John 16, you can ask anything using my name, and it will be done for you. Hallelujah. And then finally, here's the big thing here. Number four, final point tonight. Once you identify what you're believing for, once you meditate on God's word concerning that subject, once you speak to that situation directly, do not speak in unbelief to counter your confession of faith. See, a lot of people, they'll even go through these steps and they'll get their faith, their faith will get all built up and then they'll start speaking and guess what? The next day, they start undoing everything that they just did with their confession. The Bible says in James 1, 6 through 8, when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. Say, don't waver. A person with divided loyalty is as settled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people, look at this, such people receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and this world and they're unstable in everything that they do. You know what that means? That means if you're saying God has healed me today, but tomorrow he's going to heal me. If your confession is I'm healed today, but then your confession tomorrow is I'm waiting on the Lord to do it, guess what? You just countered your confession of faith. And you're unstable. Hallelujah. Say faith is now. So don't start speaking now and then tomorrow come behind it and put it in the future. I'll read that same verse to you in the New King James. It says, but let us ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and stable in all of his ways. So what does that mean? You can't be double-minded. Are you with me? Conclusion here is, if you make a decree in faith according to the word, and then speak against what you said, 
you will not receive what you released your faith for. If you make a decree in faith according to the word and then speak against what you said, you will not receive what you released your faith for. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me pray over you guys tonight. If you will, stand to your feet, and I'm going to dismiss you. To stand to your feet and lift your hands to the Lord. Come on, did this help anybody tonight? Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. I thank you that they're true, that we believe them, they're settled. And I thank you by faith, people are going to begin to possess the promises of God in this room. In Jesus' name, they'll possess healing. They'll possess prosperity. They'll possess promotion from the Lord. They'll possess deliverance from the Lord in Jesus' name. They'll possess restored marriages in Jesus' name. They'll possess restored children in Jesus' name. Their children will serve the Lord in Jesus' name. Sicknesses in their children will flee in Jesus' name. Anything and all thing that they set their faith to, they shall possess in the mighty name of Jesus Christ because your word never fails, that you are able to accomplish everything that you've said and that it never returns void. It will never be taken away. It will never be retracted. For the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. If you believe it and you receive it, just give the Lord a shout of praise tonight. Hallelujah. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.